The sounds of success vary from person to person. Over to second in time on the first double play. Success sounds like this to a Credenz soybean grower. When you pick Credenz, you get a precise variety that fits your field. A variety built to work in your soil type and conditions with targeted traits for local pest and disease pressures. Earning the satisfaction of a successful soybean crop, that's smart. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Good morning, everyone. I'm Rusty Halverson, filling in this week for Mike Adams. He's away. We've got a great show on tap for today. A little bit later on this morning, we're going to be talking about farm safety during the harvest season. Also, we'll be getting an update on weather from Daryl Richeson. But first, we say hello to uh, a, a friend of mine, Joe Gill, Farm Director for 1150 AMKASM, our Adams on Agriculture affiliate in Albany, Minnesota. Joe, how are you doing on this Tuesday? Well, Rusty, or, or do I say Go Jacks? That nickname I heard has gone viral already for Rusty Helper. Oh, so, man, it's trending. Good morning to you. Good morning to you, and yeah, we're we're a little wet here in central Minnesota, looking for some sunshine. Yeah, I was going to ask you, uh, I was checking out the weather there uh, in your neighborhood. We're looking at uh, somewhere in the 30s today with a little right, uh, light rain. Not really conducive to uh, getting any kind of field work done in your area today, is it? Yeah, if you're out there, you're duck hunting. You're not in the field doing any harvesting or tillage or anything. All morning long, we've been in the upper 30s, and then you factor in the wind, it feels more like 25, 26 degrees. And the last 24 to, yeah, 34 hours or so, here at the radio station alone, we had 1.44 inches of rain. We got uh, numerous rainfall amounts in this morning. On the low end, it was uh, a half-inch rain all the way up to 2.2 inches of rain here in the last uh, 24 hours plus. So Gracious. some rain that we really did not need in this area at all. Yeah, I mean, what what kind of progress, uh, your, your friends and listeners, what kind of progress have they made, if at all, on corn or their beans or other crops, Joe? You know, we had a window that ended on Sunday night that people had about four or five days um, a lot of silage uh, made in this area, a lot of dairy in this country, but uh, if you're out there chopping, you either had the chopper hooked on to another tractor or you had your boxes hooked on to two tractors or the truck hooked on to a tractor just to get through these fields. Yeah. I mean, they're just so soft right now, and I had one farmer, I, I asked for an update, and he said, corn wet, soil wet, air wet beans wet cattle wet that sums it up he said so. yeah yeah and yeah i guess we kind of sometimes we lose that uh, in the conversation this is miserable weather for livestock too it really is i mean it's it, it's been a battle you you see some of the, the the yards and some of the pastures too you know they're they're beat up here and we really haven't really seen a, a big freeze we've had a little tinges here in our area but nothing to really, you know, freeze anything either. So that's that's playing a factor. It's pretty muddy out there. Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, hard on people, hard on equipment, and hard on animals too. And and uh, Joe, uh, for the listeners out there, uh, you're you're a guy of many talents. Uh, you also do sports broadcasts for the Albany Huskies. How are things going in the football season so far this year? 
You know, they open up sections tonight, first-round action. Uh, they're undefeated, uh, number one in their section, so they play Sox Center, a I-94 rival tonight, 7.30, so it should be a good game. I love the way you delivered that, Joe. You are a sports broadcaster, aren't you? Now, Joe, you're also you're involved with the the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You've uh, been serving in the, as the West Region Vice President, uh, an election for our organization coming up later on this fall. Your tenure as a as a board uh, a board member for NAFB, the travels you've done, Commodity Classic, Washington Watch. What have been some of the highlights uh, as you served as the West Region Vice President? You know, a lot of the highlights uh, surround our members, Rusty, in the NEFB, getting to know them even more and, and kind of being that, that beacon for, for issues or concerns they have and get to associate with them at, you know, national and local events and, and just by phone or email connecting and seeing what concerns are. And I guess it, it really reiterates how closely our broadcasters are to our, our farmers, our ranchers, our folks in agriculture and the vital role they play and uh, that connection and you see it at some of the shows too where where producer or broadcaster relations go and you know it's it's a long long running relationship and and i think i, I get that out of that and the importance it really uh, solidifies uh, the job that we do it's necessary for folks to be uh, profitable and successful on their farms sure and you cover lots of uh, local state events also national events but farm fest in minnesota the uh, this past summer joe ag secretary sonny purdue was there were you uh, i believe he was were you able to be at that news conference and if you could think back what was kind of the atmosphere of of uh, the secretary's visit at farm fest this past year Prior to Farm Fest, I think a lot of folks thought it might be a bit of a down year because it really wasn't a an election year this year, but it turned out to be the exact opposite. And I know uh, Secretary Purdue, he, he got a lot of attention for one of the jokes he made as well. And I, I think it was taken a bit out of context. I know he was following another joke that was made that really didn't get reported all too well. And But then again, on the other side, it was poor timing, too, to share that joke at that time. But... Um, when Mr. Purdue and others, I know uh, Congressman Peterson was kind of moder- moderating that discussion there, uh, they took a lot of tough questions. They took a lot of heat. And afterwards, I, I kind of commented, I said, boy, that was a little tough. And a lot of folks said, well, it, you know, it was kind of due to a lot of people uh, expressed their frustrations and it was a, a true listening session where they sat back and listened to those folks' comments. Yeah, yeah. How are the, the dairy guys doing in your area when it comes to uh, chopping this corn and, and, and feeding the cows? How are things going? You know, right now, I, I think, you know, we're just coming off World Dairy Expo, and there's some, once again, cautious optimism, I think, in dairy, especially with uh, the DMC program, uh, the RP program that are out there. A lot of options to kind of factor in some certainty saw milk futures yesterday we saw november milk up 62 cents december milk was 42 cents higher yesterday so instead of 14 15 16 dollar milk we're talking 17 18 19 dollar milk and i i think that's doing a lot for folks uh, nobody's getting rich by any means but a lot of folks say hey i can pay my bills and at least pay my bills if not have a have some left over right now but 
um, I think that's that's some optimism right now that we haven't seen in that sector for over five years now. Yeah, and you're the kind of farm broadcaster. You get uh, dirt under the fingernails, and fo- uh, folks can follow along on Twitter at Joe K A S M Radio. And uh, uh, you got a favorite pair of bibs for the winter going ahead, Joe? I do. Yeah, my friends at Uttertech got me some bibs here. I saw them at World Dairy and. Uh, I do feed a few calves on the side, and my brother still dairy farms, and, you know, I, I like to go to the sales barn as well uh, periodically during the week and catch up on the markets firsthand, and, you know, it's, uh, I think we're all geared up, we're ready to go. Everybody's been talking about this cold weather and all this snow. I, 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 I don't know. I'm not feeling that yet, but I guess I'm ready to go if it does hit, so. Yeah, yeah, looking at the weather forecast, it's uh, it's always good to just keep them in the, uh, behind the seat in the pickup or keep them in the back seat, and, and uh, I don't know about you, but I've, I've got my, my winter survival gear is uh, at the ready. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be in Fargo, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Joe Gill from KASM Radio, thanks for your time, Joe. Hey, we'll see you in a few weeks in Kansas City. Darn tootin'. We'll see you then. Thanks, Joe. Joe Gill, KASM Radio, Albany, Minnesota. We'll be back in just a moment on AOA. Some measure success by Italian suits, corner offices, and luxury yachts. Farmers measure success differently. It's breathing fresh country air, taking care of the people you love, and knowing how to measure success in your soybean acres. That's smart. With Credenz Soybeans, you get a precise variety bred to fit your acres. And that Credenz variety comes with agronomic expertise and local insights from your BASF team. So plant your sign of success. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back to AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson of the American Ag Network, filling in for Mike this week. In just a bit, we're going to talk with Daryl Richardson about weather. He's director of the North Dakota Agricultural Weather Network at NDSU. Today is the 10th annual Progressive Agriculture Safety Day, hosted by the International Agri-Center in Tulare, California. Tulare, of course, home to the World Ag Expo in February each year. I visited with Jennifer Fox marketing manager for the International Agri-Center about farm safety and kids. There's so many things happening on the farm, whether it's with animals or equipment, uh, and um, whether it's driving down the road in some of that equipment, we want to make sure that not only our adults are safe, but any children, kids that are on or around the farm, they also take their safety very seriously. So many years ago, it's now going to be the 10th year, we have partnered with Progressive Agriculture Safety Day, Um, And they are based out of Kentucky, and they are working with people across the United States and Canada to put on Ag Safety Days to make sure our rural families are staying as safe as possible. Now, Jennifer, you say they're based out of Kentucky, but of course you're in Tulare, California. How how did this uh, event get off the ground uh, way back in the day 10 years ago? Progressive Agriculture, reach, they regularly reach out to folks and they offer trainings. And they offer trainings on how to put on a safety day, what they encourage you to cover, 
what some of it might be regional. California is going to be very different than my sister and her family live on a farm in Iowa. And we definitely have different concerns than some of the concerns we have out here. But it's all the same. There's going to be equipment. There might be animals. There's definitely some sort of product that they're working with. And there's always machinery. Progressive agriculture just works and trains with ed- trains educators. Again, across the U.S. and Canada, they have over 401 safety days uh, that they list on their website that the goal is just to help people be safe. We don't want to hear about farm accidents anymore. And, and for me, this is definitely near and dear to my heart. Um, my nephew actually had a little farm accident last year and um, got to spend a lot of time going back and forth to the surgeon to oh, save boy. his eyeball. So, yeah, it's always, it's always a big deal. Now, uh, for the age that we do for the uh, Progressive Agriculture Safety Day, this is uh, uh, geared toward uh, young folks, third grade uh, students and teachers, invitation only. This year, around 290 students are going to participate from five Tulare area schools. How did we how did we focus on that age group? Do you think, Jennifer? Uh, obviously, you soak up information like a sponge when when you're that old. I, I guess it's the right age group for this kind of uh, safety training and uh, kind of eye opening experiences. Sure, this is a group that now is really you know retaining good information. They know to pay attention, and it is the recommended age a lot of time, uh, largely by Progressive Ag Safety uh, the group. And it's because these are kids we know on our farms, um, in our rural communities, there are kids that are going to be driving tractors earlier than they will be driving cars. They're going to be asked to help and do chores on the farm, so they need to understand the seriousness and the safety they need to take into account. Yeah, I think it's... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, sure. So they're, you know, not necessarily full-time workers, but and they've grown up around this equipment, but we really want to make sure... It might be to the point where we feel safe having them help. And they, they got it, and a lot of kids do. Some may just, we all have accidents. So let's remember and let's talk about it. And let's get those demonstrations, a lot of them hands-on, so they really understand it before they're in a dangerous situation. Yeah, and those scheduled demonstrations, they include uh, tractor safety and also ATV safety, which I think for a lot of operations, we've got a lot of young folks uh, running around on four-wheelers or or side-by-sides and whatnot, and and, and this is a great opportunity to teach them safety about those uh, aspects of an uh, agricultural operation. Absolutely. I mean, ATVs, UTVs, whatever we call them, they've definitely become a bigger part of the farm. It's handy to have a smaller piece of equipment. You can drive around, get into tighter spaces than just a regular farm truck. And they can, you also have to remember, depending on the vehicle, whether it's four wheels, three wheels, or whatever it's got, there's just different considerations. And it's not the same as a truck or a car. It's a little bit different. And you've really got to be careful and know what you're doing. So it's always good to have those reminders and, and be really mindful of what, what needs to happen uh, when we're working around equipment. Yeah, and equipment uh, especially, but also when it comes to safety around livestock. It only takes, oh boy, it only takes a, a moment for uh, a young person and even even an adult if uh, you're working around an animal that seems docile, but you have to be aware of that animal at all times. You need to know where that animal is looking because they can kick and that leads to very bad repercussions. 
absolutely. It, it's, you know, you think you know your animals, but they can't tell us what they're thinking. And so the way that they can communicate is by moving, sometimes by kicking if they're uncomfortable or whatever the case is. So it's really, like you said, being aware, understanding that animals have different priorities than we do and they're going to communicate differently. And we've got to be very respectful of that and really take care of ourselves and the animal. Yeah, I think uh, respect is a is a is the perfect word when it comes to working around livestock and and for these these kids in the third grade, they're being taught, they're learning to take responsibility not for not just for their own safety, but also respecting mom and dad's safety rules too. Yes, absolutely, and that's a big part of it. Is grown-ups have more experience whether we always remember to engage that experience at all times is yeah. you know yeah. sometimes the question everybody has accidents um, but really help these kids understand as they get older as they start going into even more responsible chores and activities you've really got to listen to your parents there's a reason any adult that's trying to help you there's a reason they're trying to help you they just want to see you be healthy um, and, and just be aware that if you haven't been in this situation before slow down put something in park, ask a question, and do your best to be safe and make sure you get to finish that chore, not go to the hospital. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, all sorts of uh, uh, partners in this, electrical safety by Southern California Edison, Internet and emergency safety by Tulare uh, Police Department, fire safety, so quite a few partners in this event as well. Absolutely. We love and Carissa, who's our Ag Education Manager, she does an amazing job of really teaming up with lots of different groups. So kids get to, not only do they learn all the safety, but now they're starting to see other opportunities. We always love to make sure our kids know what their future opportunities are and, and all the different things that they might be working with or seeing on the farm now, there are other opportunities later on. So to be able to have some different folks come in, talk to them about something specific, build some different relationships, get to talk to an adult and learn about something is so important. And to know that there's other people out there to ask. And if they're saying the same thing your parents are about safety, your parents are probably right. We should probably listen to them and make sure we're staying safe. Okay. And again, all this is taking place in Tulare, California, International Agri-Center. Some folks might uh, recognize uh, that you host the World Ag Expo every every February, and and uh, everybody's invited to that. You'd love to see everybody, I'm sure, from from the audience show up for that, baby. Absolutely, and we are so lucky. We usually have a, we always have a great turnout, but we almost always get all 50 states in the District of Columbia. Uh, we're missing we were missing uh, West Virginia and Wyoming in 2019, so I'd like everyone to come. Okay. <laughs> we also did see folks from 65 countries in 2019 as well. Wow, wow. Is there a website somebody uh, can go to the to check it out, Jaffer? Absolutely. Head over to worldagexpo.org and take a look at what we have in store for 2020. Uh, it is February the 11th through the 13th, so a Tuesday through Thursday show out here in Tulare. And we've got some just every year great opportunities we have more than 50 seminars to upgrade your education whether it's dairies we have a lot of dairies and water irrigation topics Um, but we also just have hey what's going on on national policy what are some tactics for emergency communications in case heaven forbid anyone have um, a protester show up on your farm there's ways that you want to handle everyone appropriately especially when it comes to media 
So a little bit of everything on that education side. And then, of course, over 1,400 exhibitors on 2.6 million square feet of exhibit space that doesn't count our roads on the ground. Sure, sure. And it's just a great time to check out California. We have over 400 different commodities that are grown here. So for just about any state, we'll have something that makes sense for you or someone for you to learn from. That is my visit with Jennifer Fox, Marketing Manager for the International Agri-Center, the host of the World Ag Expo in Tulare, California, every, every February. We'll be talking weather coming up next here on AOA. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a credenced soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, credenced soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Talk to your authorized credenced retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Good morning, I'm Rusty Halverson, Farm News Director for the American Ag Network, filling in for Mike this week. I'd like to welcome our next guest, Daryl Richeson, Director of the North Dakota Agricultural Weather Network at North Dakota State University, Don Weather. Daryl, how are you doing on this Tuesday morning? Very good, and I'm very impressed, Rusty, that you were able to go through that very long title without an error. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, uh, just starting off, Daryl, on this Tuesday morning, I'd like to talk a little bit about current weather. I'd like to talk about trends and what we can expect maybe over the winter and, and watersheds and flooding. But I'd like to start off by uh, there's an old saying that a lot of droughts end in a flood and a lot of droughts start with the flood. Where are we at, Daryl? I mean, seriously. Uh, we're definitely at the um, perhaps the flood starting before the drought. Perhaps um, okay. It's uh, you know 2008. Um, a lot of people have forgotten was quite similar to this year. It's just that September was a little wetter, mm-hmm. and in turn that year a lot of the precipitation was more in the eastern Dakotas into Minnesota, whereas the western more the high high plains wasn't getting quite as much moisture but you know there were similarities to that year and i mentioned that because a lot of times when you make long-range forecasting you're really looking for analogs when was pattern similar and especially when you look oceanic you know where was the sea surface temperature anomalies because you know that's 70 percent of the planet is covered with um oceans of course um so that year you know we seem to catch a little bit of a break in um, November for a time before then, you know, winter came pretty hard and pretty quick back in that winter. So we'll see going forward, but I do see at least a little bit of a break here in the short term. Okay, okay. Um, In North Dakota specifically, Governor Burgum signed an executive order declaring a statewide flood emergency 
yesterday paves the way for federal assistance to to help citizens deal with significant flooding impacts caused by heavy fall rains and a, that historic October blizzard, the 10th through the 12th. Can you give an update on, on the region when it comes to North Dakota, South Dakota? When we look ahead to just our nearby forecast, how are things looking? I don't think another big storm is going to be um, out there um, perhaps until the very end of the month around Halloween. Rusty, if you think about it, yeah. um, you know we've had so many storms in the last couple of um, months, September into October, mm-hmm. and they've come about every 10 days. Okay. You know, so, you know, we had one at the end of September. We had one on that October 10th, the big blizzard that you were talking about. Yes. Of course, we had the storm the last couple of days. That was around, you know, the 20, 21st, another 10 days forward um, going out. And part of that is just the pattern that we're in. There's this large trough, you know, so there's a bubble of heat off to our west, to our east, and the central part of the United States has this trough. And it just, the time it kind of takes for the storms to rotate around that big bubble seems to be mm-hmm. 10 days. So I think we're going to catch a break. There will be a little clipper system coming through central, north, and south Dakota tomorrow. Uh, precipitation amounts don't look all that great, but as everyone knows, even if it's only a couple of tenths, two-tenths of an inch of rain now is acting like an inch because we're so yeah. saturated. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, I, will, it will, I think it will be closer to Halloween time frame. Um, if we're going to get another big one someplace, I think that's going to be the time period when it's going to occur, which will you know, at least give us a little bit of a window here. Yeah. But I don't foresee you know, the pattern shifting such that I would suspect that we'll get two or three weeks with little or no precipitation. I don't think there's any meteorologist that'd be brave enough to forecast that right now, considering the pattern we're in. Yeah, sure. Now, the National Weather Service, uh, just uh, I saw on the wire this morning, they're predicting there's a slight chance it will be warmer in most of the U.S. No place will be colder than normal. Would you agree with that uh, that prediction from the National Weather Service, uh, the story I saw on the AP today? What time frame was that? That was actually, uh, let's see, that came out. Oh, shoot, that was actually a, a day or so ago, it looks like. Uh, oh, go ahead. Well, I, if it's for November, the thing is, I just, ne- there's always going to be a cold pocket sure. out there. You know, and, you know, a lot of times their long-range forecasts don't have cold pockets in them. But, you know, it's going to occur. I think, um, you know, clearly um, November I uh, two months ago, mm-hmm. I thought November was going to finish above average. You know, I had September a little bit above average, and then it was very, very wet with that. But that came true. October, my um, analogs were saying um, colder and wet, which came true. And then November, it was more a dry month to me, leading into winter with um, maybe a couple degrees above average. But, you know, now that we're getting closer to that month and the pattern that we're in, i kind of leaning that that probably is not going to come true anymore. And that November is probably going to be, you know, I think best case scenario would be close to average. And probably um, I think the upper Midwest in particular would have a pretty good probability of seeing below average temperatures again. And I just, um, you know, the northern tier, you know, closer to Canada, southern Canada might dry up a little bit. But I think the storm track, you know, you get down to Nebraska, Iowa, Illinois, uh, there's reasons to believe, especially, you know, in the first part of November, um, these continuing storms might impact that area a little bit more than the, the far northern plains okay. moving forward. So why 
I would lean towards there's probably going to be a cold pocket mixed in with there because I, I would have suspect that that forecast was for November. Yeah, yeah, okay. Now, when you when you talk about Nebraska, Iowa, and Illinois and these uh, continuing storm systems that are coming through, they're trying to pick away at the harvest just like we are. But I was having a discussion with Bryce Anderson, the senior ag meteorologist with DTN yesterday, and we talked a little bit about this most recent snowstorm for the Northern Plains and what a soaker it was and how it saturated the soils and had so much moisture and how that's raising concerns about watersheds, downstream issues. All this water from the Northern Plains will have to move through the Midwest, and many areas have been dealing with very severe flooding from spring and summer, and it looks like that situation is going to continue. Would you agree with that assessment, Daryl? Oh, most definitely. Um, it's a very widespread where um, soils are saturated, you know, at least 90%. Um, in some areas, I mean, they're just at field capacity, you know, at 100%. It can't handle anymore. Uh, the rain from the last 48 hours, you know, much of that will end up in the river systems again because there's just not enough capacity in the soils to handle all of that, which, of course, you know, has raised a lot of eyebrows about 2020 because it sets us up for um, a later than usual planting in 2020 because um, in almost all areas because you know this just isn't going to dry out which really past that point where we can get much drying anymore from yeah. the sun or temperatures yep. and so even if we had a, a almost perfect winter with very little snow uh, we're still so saturated that I think it would still cause uh, delays in the spring, let alone, you know, the odds are we're not going to have a perfect winter. Mm -hmm. We're probably going to at least normal winter would still be enough moisture that we would have that problem for planting, let alone the river situation. Because I always remind people, fall wetness does not cause spring floods. Okay. But they definitely enhance them. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. So anything, if we have a harder than normal winter, you know, say you could uh, add 10 or 20% more than you would normal get on a river height just based on how much moisture we have because mm -hmm. there's so much moisture out there now it's just not going to go through the system before um, winter freeze up so we're still going to have some of that going into the spring let alone what we, of course we normally have to go through the system with the melt every spring all right we're visiting with daryl richardson director of the north dakota agricultural weather network at ndsu and uh our our fargo studios where where the show's originating from daryl uh, the Red River of the North has been out of its banks since, uh, uh, well, here in October, I guess. And uh, for for just for the Red River Valley of the North, uh, any flooding concerns uh, unless we get some really heavy, wet snow? What do you see for metropolitan areas in, in my backyard? Well, it's um, going to go about as high as 2008. About this time of the year in 2008 uh, in Fargo, um, the river went to 25 feet, and people aren't familiar with that. That's the beginning of the moderate stage of river. Sure. And, this and it, looks, year, it looks scary uh, at that level. <laughs> it right. Looks scary. And at this point, um, and I'm sure the forecast will change because, you know, they're still adding up the rain and putting it into their equations. Mm -hmm. But the um, North Central River Forecasting Office down in Chanhassen, which forecasts the red, has the red going back to 24 feet. So it was at 23, has dropped down close to flood stage now, but then back to 24, even higher than the flood from last week. But that's about where we were in 2008. So, you know, the major rivers, I don't think we'll have as big as problems. The ones that, you know, concern me a little bit, 
say would be the Cheyenne River, the folks down southwest of Fargo around Kindred. Okay. You know, that's going to go right up to the mod, um, mod, uh, the high stage, rather, yeah. the major stage, I should say, because they had to release water from the Baldfield Dam. In Jamestown, you know, mm-hmm. they may have to do some releases there, too. And you know, at some point, they're going to have to do these releases over the winter, even, because we have to get those reservoirs down to the system, which means that these rivers really are probably going to stay pretty high right through freeze-up. Why, again, that worry for 2020 if we have a bad winter. But, again, there's going to be some enhancement no matter what the winter is because, again, all this water just can't make it through the system this late in the season. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Daryl. And I guess that uh, that gives some very good reasoning behind why North Dakota Governor Doug Burr order declaring a statewide flood emergency and again paving the way for requests for federal assistance. Daryl, I want to thank you for your time on this Tuesday. Thanks for being a guest. It was very informative. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me on. Okay, we'll talk to you again soon. Daryl Richeson, Director of the North Dakota Agricultural Weather Network at North Dakota State University. We've got more coming up here on AOA. Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Good morning, I'm Rusty Halverson, filling in for Mike this week. Mike recently visited with Kurt Blades with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers about tractor sales. Here's that visit. Kurt, thank you for joining us. We are in the early stages of what looks like will be a very long harvest season. Uh, has the uh, the season and the challenges with the weather and the ag economy uh, has that impacted uh, the latest ag equipment sales numbers at all, you think? Well, as, as you correctly say, we're looking at a long season, and I think, uh, you know, you throw out any of those seasonal trends that we've historically enjoyed in the equipment market out the window this year because there is no normal. Our September numbers showed uh, surprisingly strong numbers, uh, <clears throat> you know, across all categories, uh, under 40 horsepower, over 40 horsepower, and even combines. And historically, September's been a little bit of a of a softer month because of harvest. But with a delay harvest, I think we're seeing maybe a, some of that, that spike that happens in October happening before harvest this year rather than after harvest, uh, simply as farmers are looking to get in the field with a little bit newer equipment or or making sure that they've got the right uh, right formula of equipment on their farm. All right, let's, let's start with uh, combine numbers. What do you have? Combine numbers in September had a, had a surprisingly strong September. Uh, we sold about 50 more units in September this year than we did last year. 
uh, so about a 12% increase. And in the case, uh, you know, year over year, we're just a little over where we were last year, about 2% uh, over where we were last year. And again, I think that's, uh, uh, if you remember, we we sold a lot of combines at the end of the year last year, right after harvest, I think directly related to that, to that long harvest that we were dealing with last year. I think farmers, again, kind of looking at their at their harvest plans and say make sure that they have enough of enough uh, enough combine to get uh, to get through the harvest and i think that's what we saw some of those numbers show up a little stronger than maybe we were expecting them to all right and on the tractor side and on the tractor side you know uh, under 40 horsepower tractors the utility tractors continue to be really strong as we always say that's a it's a pretty good indication of the overall economy but it's still showing up some some pretty nice numbers. The surprise in September, I think, was a, sort of a little bit of a rebound of that utility tractor in that 40 to 100 horsepower range, in that 100 horsepower, 100 plus horsepower tractor range, where those numbers have been they've been a little bit soft for the year. Uh, but it was with some strong sales in September. I think we kind of saw those basically coming back to uh, to a, to a flat and maybe slightly above uh, where they were this time last year. Again, I think it's uh, it's farmers looking at uh, looking at harvest and looking at a potential long harvest and say, you know what, that crop looks like it's okay. Maybe it's time for us to uh, to make an investment, or perhaps it's even uh, make sure that they just have enough equipment to to get them through harvest as quick and as safely as possible. What about Canadian uh, sales numbers? What are you seeing there? <clears throat> well, Canada has been uh, has been a little bit tough. Uh, it's been tough the last you know last year or so. But, uh, you know, September numbers did show some improvements on the tractor front. Uh, we saw a, a nice increase in the under 40 horsepower tractors in Canada. And we saw an increase in the uh, 40 to 100 horsepower tractors and 100 horsepower tractors and above. All of them bringing up to, uh, you know, we saw an increase September year over year. But because we've been in such a, such the, such a bit of a hole in, uh, in Canada, we're still down about 12% uh, you know, and uh, in, in 40 to 100 plus uh, horsepower tractors for uh, for Canada just in general, and about 16 percent for uh, over 100 horsepower tractors, believing us to, uh, you know, we're we're down about three percent in overall tractors in Canada for this year. So it's it's still a little bit soft out there. Combines in Canada, completely different story. They've been uh, they're down a you know a 25 to 30 percent. Uh, in Canada this year. Now that doesn't represent a lot of numbers, but it certainly left, represents a uh, a percentage that uh, you know, we're certainly paying attention to because uh, yeah, I think uh, Canada's got a lot of factors that are that are affecting the overall sell of the uh, sell of equipment, and we certainly like to see those numbers improve. We're talking with Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Kurt, I recently saw a story about uh, uh, companies trying to expand or doing more with leasing of equipment uh uh is that a trend we're seeing more of i know i mean leasing obviously is not new but i mean are we seeing an uptick an increase in that well i think you know as you look at the at the market right now you look at the overall farm economy i think farmers are going to look at a lot of different uh, financing option that gets them in place and you know you it's up to each individual whether leasing is right or purchasing is right or even the timing of it to, to rely on taxes. But we're certainly seeing an uptick in 
in some of those different, uh, you know, uh, leasing options or different different uh, options of, uh, of purchasing equipment or acquiring equipment, the latest and greatest technology that, that better align with, uh, you know, maybe where the farm economy is. So I think that's, I think what we what you might see is some of those are actually even baked into some of these numbers where you've got, uh, you know, the way our numbers are reported is it is it is related to the first you know to the to the first title which if that's a leasing company that this that that could show just a little bit of an increase in some of those early year numbers in september specifically related to leasing of it what's the equipment inventory situation across the country well you know for for a while now i mean about five years ago we were we were dealing with just a ton of used equipment on the market i think we kind of learned a lesson on that one seems like that we've found the level you go around lots today and there's there's a fair amount of used equipment and there's a fair amount of new equipment but it's not the overarching inventory that we saw a number of years ago and it you know i think that's a pretty good indication when you see used sales the way they are it's a pretty good indication that the used market has also found its its correct level so i think we're uh, you know it's safe to say that we're, we're right about where the market needs to be in terms of uh, of inventory uh, for both used and new equipment. And as you've also probably been looking at some of the headlines, I know our, our members are taking a good, strong just holding and adjusting their production to kind of uh, uh, appropriately reflect what the overall ag economy is looking like in the next couple of years. All right, Kurt, thanks for the overview. We appreciate it. You bet. Thanks, Mike. I'm Rusty Halverson, filling in for Mike here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.